Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 24th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A WCAB panel concluded that an applicant waived her right to a new panel for, for an untimely QME evaluation. Here's what happened in the case of Janelle Bogue versus the County of Solano. Janelle Bogue claimed an injury to multiple body parts while employed as an accounting tech for the County of Solano. In November 2017, the medical unit issued a QME panel in response to the defendant's request. Dr. Amico was the last remaining physician after both parties' respective strikes. Her attorney then called Dr. Amico's office on November 20, and since the doctor was scheduling beyond 60 days, he directed his assistant to request a replacement panel. But on December 13, the defendant sent a letter to applicant advising her that she was scheduled to be evaluated by Dr. D'Amico on February 12, 2018, which was beyond the 60-day time limit. The applicant and the defendant both went ahead and sent letters to the PQME describing the issues to be addressed at the evaluation. An applicant attended the February 12, 2018 PQME evaluation as scheduled. One day after she attended the evaluation, her attorney sent a letter to Dr. D'Amico asking him not to issue a report, claiming there was a dispute as to whether he was the correct PQME. An expedited hearing was requested on the issue of applicant's allegation that Dr. D'Amico should not serve as the PQME. At the expedited hearing, applicant contended that a replacement panel was appropriate as she requested one in the prior December. But applicant acknowledged that neither the defendant nor the medical unit apparently received the request for a new panel. The defendant contended that Labor Code Section 4062.2 authorized it to schedule the PQME and that Rule 31.3e allows the party with the right to schedule a PQME appointment to waive the requirement that a PQME be scheduled in 60 days. The work comp judge determined that Dr. D'Amico was duly selected to serve as the PQME and that nothing in the record supports a determination that he should not continue to do so. Applicant then filed a petition for removal which was denied in the panel decision. Applicant had the initial right to arrange an appointment for an evaluation with the PQME. As she failed to inform the defendant that she could not obtain an appointment within 10 days of Dr. Amico's selection, the right to schedule the appointment switched to the defendant. The work comp judge thus correctly concluded that he should remain as the PQME. Unlike NFL players, 53 professional wrestlers lost their CTE case in the civil court system. The National Football League, which entered a concussion-related settlement that has been valued at approximately $1 billion, is far from the only organization affected by the emergence of civil and workers' compensation claims alleging long-term injuries from repeated blows to the head. 
sports organizations at all levels, from youth clubs to colleges to professional leagues, as well as coaches and other individuals, have faced lawsuits claiming that athletes suffered from such progressive injuries. This includes an alleged brain disease known as chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. Not all of these claims succeed. A federal judge in Connecticut ruled that claims filed on behalf of 53 wrestlers like Joseph, Road Warrior Animal, Laurenitis, and Jimmy Superfly Snutka were brought too late, and some, he said, were frivolous. And the judge also found no basis to suggest the defendants, including the WWE Chief Executive Officer Vince McMahon, knew of any link between wrestling and CTE before 2007, which was after most of the players had retired. The court was also unwilling to find that the diagnosis of one wrestler with CTE is sufficient to imbue the WWE with actual awareness of a probable link between wrestling and CTE. CTE is a neurodegenerative disease often caused by repeated trauma to the head and cannot be diagnosed before death. A large part of the judge's 40-page decision focused on the plaintiff's lawyer, Constantine Kairos, who the judge said persistently ignored her orders and caused a considerable waste of time and resources over three and a half years of litigation. Attorney Kairos responded by saying that the opinions expressed about his strong advocacy are inaccurate, bizarre, and unworthy of the court. Lawyers for the WWE welcomed the ruling, claiming it was a thoughtful decision since the WWE did not engage in misconduct and had educated wrestlers about the risks. And now our crime report. Dr. Christopher Owens, a former vascular UCSF surgeon, was sentenced to 41 months in prison for unlawfully prescribing oxycodone hydrochloride without a medical purpose. He worked at the university-affiliated Veterans Affairs Medical Center in San Francisco. Owens was arrested in Indiana in 2017 as part of the largest health care fraud enforcement action in the Department of Justice history. Owens is a 1998 graduate of Indiana University School of Medicine and listed nine research grants and 70 published studies under his name. One of his alleged victims, 35-year-old Danielle Patillo, was found dead in her apartment <clears throat> under what investigators called suspicious circumstances. Patia worked at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center with Owens. She mysteriously died in what investigators <clears throat> initially thought was a drug overdose. But Paul Patillo, who was in the midst of a divorce with Danielle, said he had become involved with Dr. She had become involved with Dr. Owens. <clears throat> she was found deceased, and Dr. Owens was the last person who was with her. Owens was immediately placed on investigatory leave by the university and UCSF fired him five months later after he was booked on local drug charges. But those charges with the San Francisco District Attorney's Office never stuck. DE agents also arrested Owens as part of the nationwide crackdown on fraudulent opioid prescriptions spearheaded by Attorney General Jeff Sessions. 
The federal indictment charged Owens with 36 counts of illegally distributing oxycodone. His California Physicians and Surgeons Certificate was revoked by the Board of Medicine in June 2017. Owens pleaded guilty to count 36 of the indictment in March and acknowledged he prescribed the drugs without a legitimate medical need and outside the course of medical practice. In addition to the prison term, Owens was ordered to serve three years of supervised release to begin after his prison term is completed and to pay a $7,500 fine. Humira is one of the best-selling drugs in the world. Televised commercials show that a woman with rheumatoid arthritis can wash her puppy in the bathtub, and another with colitis can stroll happily through a fair packed with food vendors, while a third suffering from psoriasis can go to the gym without hiding her neck. But the price of Humira has risen from about $19,000 a year in 2012 to more than $38,000 a year today per patient. Its maker, AbbVie, has now been accused of illegal kickbacks in the largest healthcare fraud case in the California Department of Insurance history. The drug Humara accounted for more than two-thirds of AbbVie's $25.6 billion in revenue in 2016. The California Insurance Commissioner filed a civil fraud complaint on behalf of the state of California against AbbVie, alleging the company gave illegal kickbacks to health care providers to prescribe Humara. The case is filed under the Insurance Frauds Prevention Act and alleges that private insurers have paid out $1.2 billion in Humara-related pharmacy claims, making this the largest health insurance fraud case in department history. According to the complaint, AbbVie allegedly engaged in a far-reaching scheme including both classic kickbacks, which is cash, meals, drinks, gifts, trips, and patient referrals, and more sophisticated ones, such as free and valuable professional goods and services, to physicians to induce and reward Humira prescriptions. Officials claim AbbVie spent millions of dollars convincing patients and healthcare professionals that AbbVie ambassadors were patient advocates, when in fact the ambassadors were Humira advocates hired to do one thing, keep patients on a dangerous drug at any cost. The key to AbbVie's success is the fact that AbbVie inserts its own personal directly into the homes of patients. When doctors prescribe Humira, AbbVie sends its registered nurses, which AbbVie calls ambassadors, into patients' home, representing them to be an extension of the doctor's office. The system AbbVie established takes advantage of the ambassador's nursing background and direct access to patients to serve the biopharma giant's financial interests in getting patients to take Humira by downplaying its risks. Ambassadors are trained to send patient complaints directly to AbbVie and not the patient's treating physicians. Ambassadors also provide unbalanced information as they are trained to tout the drug while at the same time also instructed on methods to avoid directly answering patient questions about risks of the medication, including those pertaining to Hermira's serious and important side effects. 
The allegations of AbbVie's misconduct were brought to the attention of the Department of Insurance by a whistleblower who is a registered nurse and was employed as one of AbbVie's nurse ambassadors. Dr. Grant William Robicho built himself as an elite orthopedic surgeon catering to Newport Beach's famous and wealthy. It was a lifestyle he pushed not only in his medical work, but on reality TV where he appeared on a Bravo dating show wearing his hospital scrubs and a wide smile. But now, Orange County prosecutors have accused Ribicho and his girlfriend of drugging and raping two women in separate assaults and said they suspected there are many more alleged victims. The two have been arrested and their arraignment has been scheduled for October 25 in Newport Beach. Prosecutors said that although Ribicho and his companion, Sarisa Laura Riley, seemed like clean-cut, good-looking people, but used, they used their charms to prey on women they would meet in local bars and festivals such as the Burning Man Festival. Ribicho and Riley are accused of drugging their victims and bringing them back to his Newport Beach bachelor's pad where they would sexually assault and rape them. Ribicho appeared in 2014 on the Bravo's show which followed him as he looked for a girlfriend. He was also named Orange County's most eligible bachelor by Orange Coast Magazine in 2013. The district attorney said detectives with search warrants found a video of the sex acts with one of the two identified victims. But he said they also saw what they described as numerous other videos and photographs on the pair's cell phones of other potential victims who appeared to be highly intoxicated beyond the ability to consent or resist the defendant's sexual advances. Some of the images come from festivals across the western United States, including Burning Man and Splash House in Palm Springs. The surgeon and his girlfriend came to the attention of authorities in 2016 when a young woman screamed for help and the physician's neighbor called Newport Beach Police. The 32-year-old woman met the couple in a local restaurant and they invited her to a party where she consumed large amounts of alcohol before they invited her to Robocho's residence for an after party. But once inside, prosecutors alleged they plied her with piles of drugs and then raped her. The woman immediately contacted the police the next morning and reported that she had been assaulted and a subsequent test of her blood showed multiple controlled substances in her body. A subsequent search of Robert Cho's home turned up large quantities of illegal drugs along with a small arsenal of firearms. An El Centro task force seized 20,000 fake oxycodone pills. Jose Italo Felix Beltran and Arturo Felix Beltran and Osvaldo Felix Beltran, living in Indio, California, were arraigned in federal court on charges that they conspired to distribute over 20,000 tablets of fentanyl. These three defendants are brothers who were arrested together. Prosecutors allege the three brothers drove together to an El Centro restaurant where they intended to sell the 20,000 tablets of fentanyl to a purchaser who was an undercover special agent with the DEA. 
This arrest followed a series of prior transactions where the brothers together and at times alone sold undercover DEA agents additional tablets of fentanyl. The fentanyl tablets that were to have been sold to undercover agents were tablets of fentanyl manufactured to look like 30 milligram tablets of oxycodone. The combined weight of the seized tablet was about 2.23 kilograms of fentanyl with a retail street value estimated to be $600,000. And in regulatory news, the California Labor Commissioner has secured a settlement to recover more than $450,000 in wages, penalties, and interest for 15 residential care workers who suffered overtime and other wage theft violations. El Kayam House agreed to make the payments after the Labor Commissioner's Office sued to block the San Rafael-based residential care business from transferring ownership of its real estate to evade these penalties. The Commissioner's Office opened an investigation after workers at El Kayam's house, two locations reported labor law violations. Investigators audited 36 months of the employer's payroll records and found caregivers frequently work more than 12 hours a day without overtime pay. Citations totaling nearly a half million dollars were issued in 2016 for a minimum wage, overtime meal period, and wage statement violations. The employer appealed the fines, which were upheld in both an administrative hearing and in a decision by the Sonoma County Superior Court. Shortly after the citations were issued, the business owner placed its real estate in a trust to avoid legal liability for the wage citations. But the labor commissioner filed a lawsuit in Marin County for civil fraudulent transfer. The 15 workers will receive settlement payments ranging from $49 to over $77,000, with an average payout of about $25,000 each. In 2016, Governor Brown signed into law Senate Bill 588, which gave the Labor Commissioner's Office more tools to collect citations and wage payment orders. The law added sections to the Labor Code allowing the Labor Commissioner to levy the bank accounts and receivables of employers that failed to comply with judgments for unpaid wages. Since the law went into effect, the Labor Commissioner has issued nearly 5,000 levies, resulting in more than $3.4 million in payments and payment agreements for workers. The law also enabled the Labor Commissioner's Office to issue stop orders against scofflaw employers until they pay their workers. And Governor Brown has signed AB 2334 into law. The new law requires that as part of occupational injury and illness reporting, employers additionally should file specified injury and illness forms electronically with CalOSHA. And the law requires CalOSHA to develop a searchable database for one of those forms relating to summary information on its website. Currently, specific workplace injury and illness information is not accessible to the public and prospective employees in an easily accessible database on the Internet. The new law seems to have been triggered by federal initiatives to reduce employer reporting requirements. The Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration adopted the Improved Tracking of Workplace Injuries and Illness Rule back in 2016. 
The new rule required electronic submission of certain occupational injury and illness reports by covered employers with at least 20 employee, with at least 250 employees and by smaller employers in high-risk industries. However, federal OSHA issued a notice of proposed rulemaking recently to potentially relax these workplace injury and illness reporting requirements. In response, California decided to pass a new law that went the other way, increase employer reporting requirements. Along the way, the bill was amended in the Senate to authorize the director of the DIR to publish information regarding the costs of administration, workers' compensation benefit expenditures, and solvency, and performance of public self-insured employers and workers' compensation programs. As expected, support and opposition of AB 2334 polarized around the allegiance of advocacy groups. Labor unions and employee groups were in favor, while employer groups were opposed. And Cal OSHA has issued citations to Green Waste Recovery Incorporated after a waste collection worker was fatally run over by his own truck in San Jose. An investigation found that the employer failed to ensure the truck's safety restraint was in working order and did not ensure it was being used by workers driving from the right-hand side of the truck. The recovery worker was driving a waste collection truck to gather recyclables in San Jose. The worker was making a turn while operating the truck from the right-hand side when he fell out and was run over. Cal OSHA's inspection determined that the waste collection truck had a safety chain for the truck cab opening that could not be used because a part was missing. Collection vehicles with the option to operate the truck from the right-hand side must be equipped with an occupant restraint system, such as a door, locking, or latching bar, safety chain, or strap. Cal OSHA issued two general and two serious accident-related citations, totaling more than $46,000 in proposed penalties to green waste recovery. Cal OSHA conducted inspections of green waste recovery involving three separate worker injuries back in 2016 and 2017. And in medical news, Coca-Cola companies said it's eyeing the cannabis drinks market, becoming the latest beverage company to tap into surging demand for marijuana products. Coke's possible foray into the marijuana sector comes as beverage makers are trying to add cannabis as a trendy ingredient while their traditional business slows. The company said it's monitoring the cannabis industry and is interested in drinks infused with CBD, the non-psychoactive ingredient in marijuana that treats pain but does not get you high. The Atlanta-based soft drink maker is in talks with Canadian marijuana producer Aurora Cannabis to develop the beverages. Coca-Cola has already been diversifying as consumption of soda continues to decline. The company, with its iconic brands ranging from Coke and Sprite, to Powerade announced it will acquire the Costa coffee chain for $5.1 billion in August and has expanded into another product including juice, tea, and mineral water over the last decade. 
Last month, Corona beer brewer Constellation Brands announced it will spend $3.8 billion to increase its stake in Canopy Growth Corporation, the Canadian marijuana producer with a value that exceeds $10 billion. Molson Coors Brewing Company is starting a joint venture with Quebec's Exo Corporation, formerly known as Hydropothecary Corporation, to develop cannabis drinks in Canada. Diego PLC, maker of Guinness Beer, is holding discussions with at least three Canadian cannabis producers about a possible deal. And Heineken's Envy's Lagunitas Craft Brewing Label has launched a brand specializing in non-alcoholic drinks infused with THC, marijuana's active ingredient. While marijuana remains illegal at the national level in the U.S., there is growing acceptance of the use of CBD derived from marijuana to treat illnesses ranging from chronic pain to anxiety and epilepsy. The first ever medical treatment derived from a marijuana plant will hit the U.S. market soon, after regulators in June gave an epilepsy treatment by GW Pharmaceuticals PLC the green light. And that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And remember, we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Skirin, Manukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.